I forgot to check what date it is. Uh, and also the added complication now is I'm in America. Okay, here's the thing. I believe it's Tuesday the 19th of April at about 7pm in America, which makes it uh, Wednesday sometime in Australia. And uh, anyway, welcome to uh, Two Guys, One Cup, an AFL podcast. I am Will Anderson. I'm Charlie Clawson. And the one thing we needed to do was make your intro even more complicated. Oh, I love that. I was like, I thought that joke was dead after last week when I actually got the, the date right. And then as we just launched in recording this, I realized, oh no, I had forgotten to check what day it was and where the fuck I was. So anyway, <laughs> I'm in America and I feel like the opposite to you. Some people might know, Charlie, that you have been, you did this like men's health or men's fitness. What is it? Men's, men's health? health. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it was like a fitness campaign thing where you got like extraordinarily fit and stuff and you've been getting people to vote for you. And I've seen your images everywhere. Whereas I am at the end of a, a eight weeks on tour, working every night, drinking every night. And today I've, I realized since I've been back to LA, they've built a shake shack like meters away from my house and so today i went down to the shake shack will i am was there hung out with will i am from the black eyed peas whatever whatever maybe i'm in the black eyed peas now maybe i'm the new apple d app or whatever but anyway so i had this like mushroom burger that when i bit into it the mushroom exploded and what was inside it basically was the food representation of what you drain from your body over those 12 weeks <laughs> <laughs> you essentially did a, a concentrated retox. Everything that's toxic oh, and bad man. for you was put into one burger. One burger hidden in the middle of a deep fried mushroom. It was the best. And the best part about it was the guy who served you the burger was Taboo from the Black Eyed Peas. Yeah, it hasn't gone so well for Taboo. <laughs> uh, Taboo's got a new song. I've, I've got a feeling that tonight's going to be a work night. <laughs> well, uh... Round four uh, brought some um, some expected results and some and some uh, and some heartbreaking almost results. We'll get to that in a bit. Uh, but we start over in the West, where the Eagles. Well, we predicted it was going to get ugly, and it got pretty ugly for the Tigers. Where are they at, Will? We asked this last week, but it seems like they keep digging a deeper hole. Where are they at? Uh, well, here's what I think: is the most relieved man. Uh, when the Demons beat Collingwood is Damien Hardwick because this was going to be the worst week of Damien Hardwick's life but Nathan Buckley is going to take some of that heat now. I reckon Dimmer, Dimmer might have gone in and done an extra speech at halftime for the Demons just to get them across the line so some of the heat was off him this week because uh, it's fallen apart at Richmond. They look old, they look slow and they look like the game has moved on without them and they don't have the players to play the right sort of style. It's bad news for a team that won 15 games last year. Yeah, the weird thing about it is that when you look at sort of what North Melbourne has done, so they're a team that was sort of thereabouts in the last few years, is 
North have very sort of uh, specifically drafted in players or traded in players that they thought could get into that next level. But when you look at Richmond, you just don't see who those players are. It's the same guys. Like when they came into this season, it was like, well, how are you going to take that next step? Like where is the where, is it young guys you're bringing in? Is it, have you traded in players? Like they're essentially the same car, the same car that d- didn't get you across the line last year. Where you, you haven't updated it at all. I I, I was reading something really interesting about the difference between when you're one of those teams, there's a risk. You've got to be sure that you're a top four team to shop around for players to bolster up your list for where you are right now. Like, And if you don't get it right, if you, if you are actually in sort of six, eight, you know, tenth around that area and you buy those players, they'll only ever get you up to like third or fourth, but they won't get you the whole way there. You've got to already be... Yeah, those players can't... Anyway, so I feel like with Richmond, uh, I don't know. Like, it's it's sad, and you never know with the Tigers. Maybe, you know what? Maybe this is the perfect start for the Tigers. Maybe there are Richmond fans who are like, oh, phew, this is how we like it. Because yeah. this is... You, Richmond with their backs to the wall, yeah. they lose the first eight, it's impossible for them to make the finals, and they win every single game from then on. Yeah, it's basically the AFL equivalent of the rope dope They're just starting the rope dope yeah. Let's get the entire league to tie themselves out, beating us up. And then the last right. 11 games will storm home. Maybe that's Dimmer's plan because, you know, this, the, the, it, that's his response to the, uh, the interchange rule. He knows there's us interchanges this year. So what the good teams will do, he reckons they'll go out quick. Mm. Like Romish Henry Chandran at my high school who used to sprint the first 400 or the 800 and then have to go to, <laughs> go yeah. to hospital yeah. in an ambulance. <laughs> That's they've gone the Romish Harry Chandran theory that they're like let let all these assholes tuck on themselves out and then halfway through the season we'll be fresh as and we will just mow them down on the way home. I mean it's a bold strategy, but it's it's the Stephen Bradbury, I guess. They're going to Bradbury it, just stick around at the back and hope they all fall over. So where do you put the Eagles after that? They had a disappointing game the week before. They come back home to the fortress. They beat up a team they should beat up on. Kind of still the jury's a bit out on them, isn't it? I mean, they're good. They're good there. Yeah. But they don't play the, but they don't play the grand final there, so. Ha, ah, losers. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> it's the AFL, but they're playing the grand final in Melbourne, no matter how much that fucks you up. Uh, no, look, I reckon there's a lot to like about the Eagles. I reckon they've got a really good structure. They've got a lot of gun players, but. You also think they're beatable. You know, it's great. Mm. I love a team like that in there. Because, like, West Coast are the sort of team that wouldn't surprise you if they, like, finish on top of the ladder. You know, they'll win a lot of games this season and they'll beat up on a lot of, like, like their flat-track bullies, mm. West Coast. But it'll be just interesting to see that up against the good clubs whether, you know, whether they play. Like, they've got a couple of blokes who look fat. And I love that. Don't get me wrong. But a couple of those blokes over at the West Coast do not have footballers' bodies. Yeah. I mean, I think they just need to put the entire team on a strict uh, a perm uh, program. Just get that wavy Western Australian hair going. That's the best way to unify the team in my mind. I mean, if everyone got the Pritis perm. Yeah. We've done a hair test and we've all tested positive to Matty Primus's perming agent. <laughs> uh, so from one expected result to another, uh, the Cats in probably what was the most boring game of the round. Like, it was a contest for wow. about three quarters, but the Cats did what they had to do against the Bombers. Um, I think Essendon are actually, you've got to like what John Worsfold is doing with them. Like, he seems to be getting them to play. I mean, obviously, they're restricted by just sheer ability. 
but there's actual systems in place and they play like a really good running game and they can test. Like that's the thing that you're missing from Collingwood and, and the Tigers is they, they look sort of disinterested at times. Well, Port Adelaide especially, we'll get to them. But Essendon, like, I guess because they have a bunch of players who are essentially playing for their careers or, you know, playing to prove themselves to get on a list, like, there's a real kind of positivity about the way they play. And they sort of kept pace with Geelong. You got the sense that Geelong were just in second gear. They weren't going to, they weren't going to do any injuries against, against Essendon. But Bombers actually, they got a lot to like, a lot to like. They're the Mighty Ducks. That, you know, that's what, that's why we believe in them. Mm. You know, the ragtag bunch, the ducks fly together, bombers fly together. I hope John Worsfold, when they do one of those Channel 7 interviews at half time, has footage of them all going quack, 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 <laughs> quack, quack. That's what I'd like to say. Or you, making the sound of like a bomber or something. You know, it's kind of like, like my favorite game for the year is the intra club at the start of the year. I used to love going down to Moorabbin and just watching the teams play because it's like, doesn't matter what happens in this game. We just get to see all these young guys that you'd never normally see in a, in a normal home and away round. And you just go, all right, well, maybe that's a guy we hang on to. That's another guy. Do you reckon, do you reckon there's any of the guys who are senior listed who are suspended at the moment who are getting nervous watching how these kind of rookies are playing? Yeah, of course there are. I mean, if you give someone else a chance and they take your spot, like, yeah, no, of course. And, and look, they've got some great kids and they'll only be a better team for it. No, but it'll be interesting to see. It's a long season. It's a very long season. And like, there's a bit of emotion and stuff there at the moment. But they might start getting beat up on halfway through the season, I reckon. Um, so, uh, Dyson Heppel, it's come out in the news this week that he's actually suing the Essendon Football Club. Now, what's happening there? Does he still intend to play for them after he sues them for a million dollars? I believe so, yes. That's, uh, that'll be interesting. <laughs> That's like, I mean, that's pretty ballsy. Yeah, totally. Like, like, and you know the thing about it is everyone loves Dyson Heffel. Like, he's universally regarded as a great bloke. Everyone thinks, you know, he's buried for Essendon all his life. Like, he's the clean skin. He's the one you can excuse because he was just a young kid coming into a system where the guy he idolized was coaching it and blah, 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 blah. Like, everybody loves Dyson. He's the one they need to get back to Essendon. And he's like, well, I guess they need me a lot. I might sue them first and then, or maybe they're encouraging it because maybe it's outside the salary cap because the legal settlement for this would be outside the salary cap, right? So maybe they're like, you know what? Sue us for $10 million over 10 years. And then in your next contract, we'll give you rookie minimum. Yeah, yeah, that's right. (laughs) And it'll be a backloaded contract. So what is that? I mean, if you were the insurance company that, uh, that bombers have worked for them, does, does this is, does insurance cover like is this a work cover claim? What is it? Is this like a negligence claim? What does it fit under? Does do the bombers physically have to pay that million dollars, or is it covered by insurance brokers? Uh, this is going to be the big unanswered question, but th- there is no doubt in my mind that the way that Gillan McLaughlin was talking about it, that at some stage the AFL's money is going to be involved, like the competition's money is going to be involved in this in some capacity. So it's like. It, I mean, they can't let Essendon die. No. Well, well hang on. Why can't I mean, they? They let Fitzroy die. Oh, mate. Like, don't get me wrong. And, but I love this podcast because every week I realise we just alienate another <laughs> section of the core audience by, by saying why their team should die. But to, <laughs> to, to, 
<laughs> like with wanton, like of us of all people, yeah. like people who like, that is like the lowest of the low turning on someone who's lower than them. Yeah. That is like, you know, like, yeah, I'm yeah. a refugee, but I live here now. I hate refugees. Yeah, that's not right. The that's we're, the, what, we're the last ones through the just... door. We're just slamming the door for other people. Right. We've been in the cellar. Now you're but, in the cellar. We're going to bury you. Yeah. Stop the planes. Yeah. That's our new policy. Let, <laughs> let us and die. Stop yeah. the planes. We're anti-bombers. Oh, you're anti-war? No, no. We're anti-the bombers. Oh, the bombers. Uh, so the next game I'm still angry about. Down at Aurora Stadium, the Hawks beat the Saints. Now, look, Will, I don't like to complain about the umpires, but we were robbed. It was bloody criminal what happened. Did you see the incident that cost us a goal in the last quarter, the two 15-metre kicks that were ruled as not being 15 metres? And they were both substantially over 15 metres. First one, line ball. There's an argument to be made that it was too short. But the second one was like at least... Even the umpire, Hayden Kennedy, the guy who does the wrap-up for AFL.com, said, yeah, that was at least 17 metres. The weird thing was when you watch... Because I've watched that incident again and again because I'm 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 a masochist. The umpire calls play on virtually as soon as he puts the, the as Dempster puts the his boot to ball. Like the umpire just wanted a long kick out of there. It was weird. You know what the thing about it? You know what the okay. Here's what I would say is, in any old other year, you know they're interpreting that a lot harder this year. In any other season, both of those kicks were like they were marks easily. But honestly, the first one was at least fifteen. Like, measure it from the fucking base of the balls, if you know what I mean. <laughs> like, if it's close enough, it's close enough, right? <laughs> like, it's fif- it's 15-ish. It's a, it's a little cold out here, but it's 15-ish. Yeah. Let's round up, right? Yeah. And the other one was fucking 17 to 20. So, yeah, no, terrible. Ter- ter- I, don't, I don't think the umpiring's been as great. Look, here's the thing. Umpiring evens itself out normally and blah, 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 yeah. blah, blah, blah. But... I don't, I don't think it's been the best this season. I mean, to be honest, I actually don't really blame the umpires. I think what's good about it is I've heard uh, like Luke Hodge talk about it and I heard Jared Ruffhead talk about it. And they said, look, yeah, sure, we should have lost that game. But when you look at teams like St Kilda and the Bulldogs and sort of up-and-coming teams, learning how to win is a big, uh, is a big hump you've got to get over because you get so used to kind of either chasing a lead or freaking out and trying to defend a lead to actually have the confidence to keep playing your game. Because up until that point, the Saints had been playing really bold, attacking footy, going through the corridor, playing on at all costs. They didn't seem intimidated. Um, Quite happy for Sam Mitchell to get like 40-plus touches because a lot of them were handballs. But then you could sense it in that last quarter that they... Because we were two goals up or 11 points up in that last quarter and you could just sense there was a bit of kind of... Um, panic, bit of freeze coming into the play. Like they just weren't as willing to go into the corridor because they didn't want to be the guy who turned it over. But I think it's only through experience and going through close games and stuff like that that the, the players get the confidence to go, well, you know what? We just keep playing the same way we have been playing. That's how you get the win. Well, that's what the Bulldogs did the week before. Like the Bulldogs had them, you know, and then the Hawthorne, Bulldogs started going to the boundary line and Hawthorne started playing like the Bulldogs did, you know, putting it straight into the middle and then attacking it and turning it over really quickly. And they have such precision and like they, they're just such great kicks and such great users of the balls that in that situation, but they're beatable. I mean, despite the result, you must be wrapped that like it, you're, you must be yeah. much more optimistic about the Saints than you were like two weeks ago. 100%. I mean, I don't want to say, 
I don't want to say that I was the only person on this podcast who really believed in them, but anyway, whatever. I was right. They nearly beat Hawthorne, so whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think at this stage, there's no point in us winning 10 games or 11 games, just missing out on finals and then not getting a high draft pick. Like, you know, I've always said you'd rather kind of like at this stage of our development, get really close against those big teams and those big games and still fall somewhere in a first, like in a high first round draft pick. Um, Cause they're, they're actually learning and there's going to be a big shift of experience moving out of our club in the next two or three years. Like we've still got Fisher, Dempster, Revolt, Montagna, and they're all playing really good football still, but those guys are going to go. So I think, it's important, like you don't want to be winning games with those guys in place, playing really good football, and then right. it's like a false sense of confidence. And then when you take those key position players out, all of a sudden we're having to learn how to do that again. It's almost better that the, the younger players go through, go through these lessons. I mean, the big positive out of that game for me was Paddy McCartan. Like, I just didn't know what kind of footballer he was going to be when we drafted him. He sort of had that young Tom Hawkins look about him, like an old school country footballer, big bum, big body, didn't look like the most athletic bloke in the world. But I couldn't quite see, okay, what what kind of player were they drafting? Who are they going for? And then when I watched him, and this is not to put too big a raps on the kid, but I did see a bit of young Tony Lockett. Like he has that kind, he's very smart footballer. Like a, as we like to say on this podcast, well, he has footy smarts, but he also has like a high skill level that, you sort of don't see it because he looks like such a, just a kind of a big bulky dude, but can mark, can kick, really smart user of the football. Look, if he plays two or three games like that this year, then I reckon that's a big tick for us. Yeah, I thought, I mean, and the the big interesting thing for the competition is Hawthorne are beatable. Yeah. You know, and I think that makes the season more interesting. But the, like other, the idea that Hawthorne are at least vulnerable. Well, it's, it's that thing though of, you've said it before, they start slow, you know. I mean, I think Hawthorne yeah. are kind of happily, happy. If Hawthorne had dropped the Bulldogs game and the Saints game, I don't think they'd be too bothered at this stage. The fact that they've just come away with wins, knowing that they probably should have lost, that'd be wrapped with. Because, you know, th- know, they'd be happy to take the loss. It's weird, that thing of good teams know how to win, but, you know, they do it every week. Uh, what about um, Clarko? Did you see that thing in the media this week about Clarko's contract? Caroline Wilson wrote a thing in The Age going that, uh, well, Collingwood should go after Clarkson because Clarkson hasn't signed at Hawthorne yet. And, you know, he's obviously the best coach in, you know, the country, in the league. So if Collingwood really want to, you know, make a bold move, why wouldn't they go after Clarko? I didn't see that. No, that would never happen. Why? Why Why not? I just think that he has become so entrenched in that club like what he's done been able to do for Hawthorne and take them back to the kind of that dynasty of the 80s and stuff the only the only reason I could imagine him doing it is if they go back to back to back this year and he needs a new challenge or like Paul Roos yeah yeah I reckon that that's what it is he wins four in a row this year and then he just fucking drops the mic and he goes well I've done that now I'm really going to prove I'm the greatest coach of all time plus I'm going to get paid I'm going to own most of Collingwood. Mm. Like, they're going to give me, like, my own oval or whatever it is that I want. I can punch as many walls as I want. They've promised me I can punch whoever I want. They will pay off people for me to punch, like, all the time. But also, the challenge of building back another super club, 
you know, everybody wants their own Alistair Clarkson. That's why all these, you know, assistant coaches are coaching at every other team. But what if you could actually get Alistair Clarkson? Yeah, I think, I, okay, I, I change, I, I change my point of view. I think there's another thing too of, uh, did you hear, uh, Jared Ruffhead on, on Junk Time? He was talking about, you know, how what... I, I love that, by the way. It was great. People should check that out if you love footy. Amazing. It was one of the funniest. Andy Lee's story about Mick Malthouse heckling him in the street just needs to be heard to be believed. Um, But Jared Ruffhead talked on that podcast about how all the players, you know, uh, the senior players came up with Clarkson at the same time. And there is kind of a real bond between them. So I could also imagine that once that era of players have moved on, that Clarko might feel like, well, it's time for me to move on. As well, you know what I mean? Right, absolutely. And, you know, what's he going to do with the rest of his life? Like, he's the greatest He's the greatest football coach of the modern era and he's possibly going to be remembered as one of the greatest of all time. Certainly the greatest in the history of the AFL. Like, what's his next challenge? Space travel. <laughs> he said, well, I worked it out. It's mostly about zones, <laughs> to be honest. So, uh up at uh, the Gabba on Saturday night, uh, the Lions uh, took on the Suns, and this was a belter. Did you get to see this game at all? I didn't, mate, but I, here's the one thing we've always known. You just can't predict the Q clash. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't matter where the teams are at, different rules apply, because it means so much, the Q clash, to each team. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was an absolutely cracking game. Like It was played at a super high pace, and... Brisbane, you know, I've been saying this for a few weeks, like Brisbane, I think, are not as bad as what a lot of people say they are. And they just turned it on. Pierce Hanley, yeah. like, did you see, his running goal, uh, I think it's a nominee for goal of the week, you can go to AFL.com and check it out. It's fantastic. I didn't even realise he was Irish. Oh, uh, didn't you know? No. Um, yeah, he's great. I mean, look. And he's vice captain. I, I want to, yeah, I want to believe in Brisbane. But, and look, I, I, did you hear Leper's idea this week about suspensions? No, what was that? Oh, this was right up my alley because it makes no sense and it should never come in. But it's the sort of thing that in my fantasy fan fiction ideas about AFL and how I'd improve it, this is like a great idea. He said that if you're suspended because, you know, of the the May hit and he got five weeks or whatever, but Leper suggested that you should have to serve one of those weeks the next time you play the team that it was against in the first place. So because it, so he'd get four weeks now, but he'd also have to have the next Brisbane game off. I love it. I, I love nothing more than this. I, I think if someone hits you, you should have the option of hitting them back. They can play the next week, right? That's just an option. Yeah. If the other person wants it, you can do the equal action to them. And then they can play the next week. They can take that as like a punishment. I'm into this idea. I like it. So what did you think of the Stephen May hit? Uh, I mean, the only interesting thing was the Gary Abbott push, I guess. Because mm. Gary Ablett kind of pushed him into it a little bit. But he still, he went past the ball and he jumped up in the air. And you just can't do that. So And he's got a, and he's got a list as, of like priors as well. So that doesn't help his case much. Yeah, it was, it was one of those uh, things where it just took you right back. It was a classic Brereton on Vanderhaar type hit, you know. The fact that he didn't lift the elbow was probably the only thing that was missing from that. But, um, uh, yeah, I'm surprised Stefan Martin wasn't dead. Like, the force that Woody hit, which he hit, and, and May's a massive bloke as well. The funny thing is, right, like, right. 
you know, uh, you, you look at that sort of mummy hit and everyone's like, oh, isn't that amazing? And then you look at the May hit and it's like, oh, that's terrible. And it's like, well, there's, a, there's just a, a slight degree of difference, a slight degree of negligence between the two. One's within the rules, but the force of impact, it's got to be exactly the same. Uh, there'll be a time and it won't be too long from now where that mummy hit will be considered as bad as what happened on the weekend. Oh, We've yeah. come so far already. Like the idea that that, I mean, there was there was a time a decade ago where that was fine. Yeah, mostly. Yeah, you know, maybe you get a week or whatever, but that was pretty much just footy. And they're like, "Hey, you know how like people can't remember stuff? Mm. <laughs> yeah, maybe we should do something about that because we're already being sued by all these Essendon players who want to stay at Essendon. <laughs> so <laughs> we've we been. I mean, it's it's got to it's got to be awkward for Hebel the next year where he's like, "Hey, why haven't they fixed that door hinge?" And they're like, "Well." Technically, Dyson, if you hadn't sued the club, we'd have money to fix the door hinge. But anyway, you work here still, so let's not be weird about it. Uh, we move on to the emergency room that is uh, the Witten Oval. Now, whew, it's been a rough couple of weeks for the Bulldogs. They beat oh, Carlton, as they're man. expected to do. Um, it was, look, it was, a, it was a comfortable victory considering the circumstances, but geez, I don't know. Did someone uh, have a black cat cross their path, walk under a ladder? What's going on? Luke Beveridge actually said in his press conference, I wonder if somebody ran over a black cat. So you two are on the same page. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, we, we've had, uh, we had two people do. So uh, there was a guy in the reserves whose name's escaping me just for a second, but who they really rate, who could have come in to replace Joe Hannison or Murphy. And he did his ACL. And in the reserves, and then Johannesson like ripped his hamstring, so he's out for ten weeks or something like that. Although yeah. they said today he's not going to have sur- surgery, which is probably good. Yeah, but um, but he's out for a lot of the season. So suddenly we've lost two guys who play the exact same role in a game style that mm. we need. Those sort of players. I mean, it's not ideal. No, <laughs> it's not ideal. You, and then Tom, Tom, Tom Boyd, like, like a. Like his injury, surprisingly enough, isn't from when that ball hit him in the head. Did you see that? <laughs> yeah, the the best Falcon it's, of all time. It honestly, <laughs> he heads it like if that was a soccer, it would have been like it was a halfway and it hit him in the head and it went for a goal. Like I was like, we should get twelve points if you can bounce it off your head through for a goal. Like that's crazy. You know who will never have a Falcon? Joe Danaher. No. <laughs> Uh, it's 24 points if you hit Joe Taylor, is it? <laughs> yeah, it was... Um, look, it's amazing uh, what a fortnight can do in football. Like, two weeks ago, fucking Bulldogs are talking uh, reverse the curse, premierships. And then, it, look, it's not to say that you, you won't still be a contender, but it just fucking takes a lot of steam out, especially when you lose... I mean, nowadays, football is generally played off the halfback flank. That's where all attack begins from. And if you lose two key playmakers, and by the way, Jason Johannesson, who I think we've alternately referred to as Jake Johansson, Jake Johannesson, we have not called him by his actual name until today. I was, I made a note of it. I actually wrote it down because I've listened back to it. And it's like we keep getting his name wrong, but you said it right today. So the Bulldogs would be happy to know that one of their uh, celebrity ticket holders <laughs> couldn't even pronounce the name of their star halfback. No, he- you know what the problem is? That I only ever referred to him as JJ, and I also, during the Melbourne Comedy Festival, was hanging out with my friend Jake Johansson, yeah. who was a stand-up comedian. So every time I, like, 
<laughs> it all got a little muddled up. Anyway, they're both great people, and I wouldn't mind it seeing a combination of them. Because here's what I would say is they'd be awesome on the football field, but also great on things like the footy show and like interviews and stuff. So anyway, yeah. if science can make that happen, uh, that'd be great. And if, maybe Jake has better uh, hamstrings than Jason does. I was so. going to say, if your injuries keep going the same way, you may have to get Jake to play a few games for the Bulldogs. Yeah, so look, here's the thing. Every team's going to get injuries, and... Is there is one really positive thing is that we recruited this season a bunch of players who play those positions, so we're going to get to see if any of them are any good or not. I mean, Jed Adcock, you know, has already been good. Easton Wood hasn't been playing. He'll come back in. You know, uh, Biggs is, um, you know, kind of a player that can play down there. So, you know what? It, it might not be the worst thing. It's going to be a challenge, definitely, and we can't afford to lose anybody else. But every team's going to have injuries at some stage. Maybe we just got ours at the start and hopefully, you know. I mean, because if, if Johannesson comes back in, you know, uh, Jason James Johannesson, uh, as he's <laughs> known, you know, to everybody. <laughs> uh, Joey Jeremiah Johannesson. JJ Abrahams. Uh... <laughs> Johannesson. Yeah. Joe Abrahamson. <laughs> Uh, the Casbolt so, yeah, the, the theory uh, was in full effect on Saturday night. Um, uh, Brendan Bolton has come out in defense of Levi Casbolt this year and said, uh, the quote is, Levi is an exceptional contested mark and is giving us a great target up the ground and in deep. In fact, he's as good as anyone in the competition in the area, full stop, and he's working really hard on his goal kicking. Yeah. See, that's the asterisk. Like, yeah. It's like the Carlton Banner should say, Levi him alone. Yeah. But the problem is they want their Levi to be a 501. Yeah. But, uh, it's not. It's always like a one and then a zero and then five out of bounds on the full. Yeah. So it's, yeah, he's, he's great. You, you want, Le- you want him to be good. Mm. Like I wish him no ill will. Like I wish he could kick goals, but it's an important part of his role that he has and he's no good at it and it becomes problematic. Yeah. No ill will. I think we've just found the name for your next comedy festival show. I mean, that's pretty good, actually. I'll write that down after the podcast. But why, why can't they just, like, get him to handball it off every time he gets it? Because he's pretty good at everything else. Mm. Why don't you just do that? Why doesn't he just get good at faking injuries? You know what? Blood rule. Yes. What he should do is go out there like a wrestler and then, like, slit him. Like, so he marks it. And then he just goes down like he's like putting his mouth guard in. Yeah. And at the time, he gets a little razor blade. He slits himself. Blood rule. Somebody else has to take the kick. Yeah. You know what? I mean, no one checks when fucking Joel Selwood like bleeds all the time. Maybe he's got a little razor blade wrestling style, you know? Yeah, Levi Casbolt could be the, a, the Mick Foley of the AFL. <laughs> right. Just starts wearing a yeah, leather mask like, like mankind. A sock puppet on his hand. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a sock puppet on one hand. Like one of those like marking gloves, but it's a sock, po- sock puppet. Mr. Socky. Here's a stat that will probably surprise you. Last year, uh, the Casbolt theory, his kicking was he kicked 24 goals, 12 behinds. So he actually was kicking at a, at a, at a pretty good rate. Um, Sav Rocker came in and coached him. Does it have the out on the fools? No. What do you reckon that exceeds both? Mate, that's the Richo factor. Like, when you look at Richo's stats, they don't actually look that bad. Like, you, you remember Richo as being an unreliable kick for goal, but they don't look so bad unless you check the out on the fools. Because he might not kick... You know, it's, sometimes he doesn't kick a lot of points, but he kicked fucking four out on the full and one over his head. 
and that's your Casbolt theory as well. But he was better. He was better last year. Yeah, yeah. Game of the round, we predicted it because uh, we're geniuses. <laughs> the Crows versus the Swans. One of the best third quarters you've ever seen in football. Um, would it be uh, would it be crazy to suggest that this could be a grand final preview or at least a top four preview? Uh, if my team don't make the grand final and it ended up being an Adelaide Sydney Swans grand final and they played the sort of football that they played on the weekend, I would be very happy to see that game on grand final day. Like they yeah. are both super 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 AFL teams, and that was a incredible game of football. Like the, it was just. A, a real celebration of, and it was a bit unsydney like in the way that they're kind of like really attacking a lot mm. more these days than like really shutting it down defensively. And Adelaide are just a joy to watch at the moment. Like, mm. you know, until that point where they start beating up on our teams and then you start to really hate Adelaide. But right now, you're just like, as a disinterested observer, you're like, yeah, okay, Adelaide. Yeah. Yeah, I like the way you shake it. Yeah, I like the way you shake it. I like how, you know what? You got rid of your old boyfriend and you've got yourself a makeover and I like what's happening here. Yeah, you, you know what? You're bet you're better off without him, girl. Yeah. You might say you're better off <laughs> without him, girl. <laughs> I mean we do we do have to take a moment just to acknowledge Eddie Betts. I mean, four years ago, he was kind of like a you know, he was a decent enough forward pocket player, good for maybe a couple goals a game. But you know, no different to, you know, hundreds of other forward pockets have played the game. He is now Possibly like the best forward in the game. I mean, I know he's not a key position player, but he doesn't miss. Like that Eddie's pocket thing, which started off sound, uh, as what was just going to be a soundbite for fucking commentators, is a genuine phenomenon. He does not miss from that pocket. It doesn't matter if he's running to the boundary. It doesn't matter if it's a set shot. He has some bizarre tracking device in his kicking, which always makes it go through. Also, I would say that it would probably be really, really easy because he only has the practice from like two places because that's the only two places he ever kicks goals from. So he probably just goes out there and goes, well, I'll practice some running and marking shit and then I'll practice kicking goals from these two spots over the back where I'm going to get it most of the time. Yeah. Because the, the game, the style of the game suits Eddie Betts. He's mm. the John Howard of the AFL when John Howard said, you know, the times will suit me. The times are suiting Eddie Betts yep. because we play this game now where that ball goes over the top and if you have a player that can run that last line, like Cyril did mm. uh, to West Coast in the grand final last year, if you can break that last line and get through that last line or over the back of that last line then and kick goals... Mm then that's a really da that's a really damaging thing in the AFL. Like, essentially, the thing you were never meant to do, which was basically linger over the back of packs trying to get cheap goals over the back, has now become the most awesome destroying weapon in the AFL. Yeah. And even Tommy Lynch was getting in on the act. Tommy Lynch kicked a very Bet-style goal running towards the boundary on his wrong side. I'm so glad the Saints got rid of him. <laughs> what a waste of space. List clogger. List clogger. Uh Mate, and he's like, he's a jet, but he's also like, I, I've, I've heard him being interviewed in the media and stuff. He's really good in the media. Mm. Like, you know, like, it'd be, at least it'd be great if you felt like you'd lost a train wreck, but he's an awesome player and it seems like a leader of men and a person you could have really built a club around. And there's a drink for all the listeners out there. <laughs> we managed to uh, put leader of men into this podcast. Seriously, last week, I think we both said it about five times. 
Um, the other uh, the eye-catching performance in that game was Isaac Heaney. So good to see that the Swans have unearthed another gun kid from their academy. Fantastic for the competition. He's ridiculous, though. Like, for what is he, 18, 19? He's his second year, right? Yeah, his second year. Motherfucker. Yeah. Like, he's so good. Can mark, can kick, does inside, goes outside, never loses his feet. It's just... He's going to be a Brownlow medalist. He just He's a gun. And he also just looks like... It must have been one of those things where, like, in the Sydney Swans Academy, it feels a little like eugenics. Yes. Because there's a certain... <laughs> totally. It's it like, like, how do we create the perfect eye-catching midfielder? Well, he's got all the skills and ability. We need to give him blonde, blonde hair. You know what? We have a white and red uniform, and there's just certain colours that go well with it, and blonde hair just seems to look good with it. Yeah. No, he's uh, he's an absolute gun, and it's just... It's, it's what, it's, I don't know. I mean, this academy, it's a bit controversial. Like, you know, it's uh, Victorian clubs can feel ripped off. But by the same token, like, I mean, it was an initiative that was set up to help an expansion club. You know, you can't, I don't think you can begrudge the Swans for something that they designed to happen, you know, paying off. Well, it's sometimes in the game, we punish people for being innovative. Yeah, there's a fine line between like, and I understand that sort of argument. Um, here's what I always think is a strong Sydney is good for football. So even if the competition is hurt by it a little bit, it's in, it's an unequal competition. You know, we don't have a draw. We have a fixture. We don't play each other equally. It's equalized in money and all those sort of things. Like we're trying to achieve something. We're trying to grow the game. It's the world's greatest game. It should be Australia's number one game. And if we want it to be, then it has to be strong in, in Sydney as well. So, mm. you know what? If we have to t- take a little pain for Sydney to always be strong and they play great football, like they're fun to watch, yeah. you know, when they're up and about, Buddy. like I love watching a, Buddy. Uh, I mean, Bud Bod. Can, did he get another four? four? Yep. Did he get another four? 18 touches, four he's goals. Just get, <laughs> I'll, I'll just get four every week. That's yeah. what I'll do. Yeah. No. He said, What's the, what would you be happy with if I did it for nine years? Because <laughs> I'm just going to play that exact same game over the rest of the life of my contract. Yeah, he was amazing. Um, speaking of uh, <laughs> uh, foot in Sydney being strong, the GWS Giants played a pretty impressive game, but... Yeah. They were up against what I think we can safely term flat track bullies. Port Adelaide have been so disappointing this year. I mean, I thought I was sort of holding out last week when uh, when you know everyone was saying, "Oh, that six goal victory was unconvincing." I was like, "Well, let's just see." But they played like they didn't give a shit. That was one of the laziest, like no chase, no pressure. I don't know what's going on at Port Adelaide at the moment, but they just look like they're in all sorts of trouble. I, I'm feeling an emotion that I've never felt before and I don't know how I feel about it because I feel bad for Port Adelaide. And yeah, I know. It's not something that I enjoy saying, but I like Ken Hinckley and I like what Koshi's trying to do growing the game in China because of all the international experiments, I do think China is the one that has some sort of chance of working. Not not in a way that the game might be, you know, like become massive in China or whatever, but there are so many Chinese, like China is Australia's major trading partner and there are so many Chinese people who live and work in Australia or want relationships with Australian businesses or have their businesses in Australia. And the best way 
to incorporate your business into a society and a city and stuff is sponsorship of sporting teams, incorporation of sporting teams, adoption of like local cultures. So it makes complete sense to align yeah, your game with these emerging business interests. And mm. I think it's actually something that's, I'm like, good on Port. They're having a crack. They've got some ideas. But I think they, they were the first people to get where the game was going. And that was why they were good for a while. But now everybody else worked out where the game is going and everyone else had better players. So everyone else is playing how Port used to play, but they have better players than Port has. Do you think maybe the players have been sampling their own bathwater? I mean, they don't look co- I don't think they look cocky, Port. I mean, Junior disagrees. No, Junior, Junior is, is a big Port fan. Oh, he's a big pop fan. Yeah, yeah, right. I thought he'd be a dog. I thought he'd be a dogs fan. No, no, it's, really? too, it's too obvious. <laughs> Go, goes against his own kind. Yeah. I mean, that's disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I know. Yeah, like I don't. I mean, Port have got some great players. Like Robbie Gray's a delight to watch. They've had some tough injuries, but I really think that they had a style that they got onto first. But everybody else is caught up with it really quickly, and and I don't think they have the the players to back it up. I I, I disagree. I think it's I think it is ego. I think it's attitude. Attitude like they're, it's not they're not putting effort in, and I think that comes from a mentality of expecting wins to come because they've been so highly touted over the last couple of years. I think maybe that they turned up expecting just to be able to beat GWS. It was. Like, there's so many instances where they just did not do any of those kind of things that even bad teams do, which is chase and put on pressure and man up and, and flood back, all that kind of stuff. They just seem disinterested, unless maybe they're depressed. Like, maybe the whole, maybe they, on the flight up, they watched, uh, you know, uh, 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 like a Lars von Trier film or something. They just came out in a real funk or something. But to me, it looks like it's between the ears. Maybe. They've finally realised that hearing Never Tear Us Apart every week uh, really reminds them of Michael Hutchins' suicide. Yeah. And so instead of like inspiring them like it used to, they just get really sad that one of the greatest artists of all time accidentally or on purpose took his own life. And they're just reminded of that. And they're like, well, what's the point of even playing exciting running football anymore when we realise that we're reminded every week of this great national tragedy? And then they're reminded that in excess would go on without Michael in the same way as their team had had to go on, yeah. you know, without uh, Patty, Patty Ryder and yeah. Chad Wingard. Yeah. And then they get really depressed, you know? Yeah. I think that maybe they, like, they, like, they, they need to bring JD Fortune in to address the group before their next home game to say, look, in excess went from strength to strength when I joined. You've got Charlie Dixon now. He's your new front man. Charlie Dixon is the JD <laughs> Fortune ja- of the AFL. That's who he is. Yeah, JD Dixon. <laughs> That's who he is. Yeah, he's got a fucking JD down the front. Look, I um, I think Port have a, a history of having completely unlikable forwards, and Charlie Dixon seems to be yeah. fitting the bill. He's he seems to be the modern uh, Warren Treadjay, just without the ability. At least Warren Treadjay would actually get a kick. Charlie Dixon just seems petulant, petulant and aggressive, and a bit of a dick. I mean, who knows? Like, you just assume these things from the way you see them. Of course. But if you only knew him from the football field... No, I just want to say that before I say this terrible thing about him. <laughs> you know? I call this a disclaimer. <laughs> yeah. I mean, legally, morally, yeah. you know. 
hey, I've had people make assumptions about me based on things they've seen that may or may not be accurate. So, look, I put it with this proviso that of the limited amount of information I have about him makes me not want to find out anything more about him. Ooh. He seems like a terror. Oh, I just do not like him at all. Yeah, it's, I don't like him. I, mean, I don't wish him well. It's rare that I don't wish someone well, but every week when he's doing well, I'm like, nah, fuck you, <laughs> fuck you. It's, and I, tr- I don't know why. He's probably a nice guy. Hi, Charlie, if you're listening. It's that fine line, though, isn't it, with that? Because, you know, we talk all the time about Jesse Hogan and, you know, loving a player who has that strut or even Jake Stringer or whatever. And it's a fine line, though, between having that and then not backing it up with any kind of football. Like, Charlie Dixon, you know, he came into the, what, against the Saints, he came into the last quarter and kicked a couple of junk time goals. But he hasn't done really anything to warrant the kind of strut that he has at the moment. Like, that's why I reckon it all comes down to like a mental battle for Port at the moment. I just don't know. I just don't know that they've got the right attitude. See, Chad Wingard, Chad Wingard has that aloofness. He has that kind of arrogance on the field, but he also plays like a fucking like genius. And so you can sort of, it balances out his kind of autistic (laughs) approach to football, you know, that kind of uh, savant attitude to football. But, um, yeah, Charlie Dixon just comes across as all, all attitude and no ability. Uh, I mean, he's pretty, uh, he's pretty cocky for a guy who literally has Dicks in his name. That's all I'd say. <laughs> uh, over at the MCG on the same day that the Giants thrashed Port Adelaide, we saw a watershed moment where the Melbourne Demons beat Collingwood. We say watershed because uh-huh. maybe Jack Watts has finally arrived. Everyone brought up that in Jack Watts' first game as number one draft pick in 2009, I think it was a Queen's birthday game, that he got bashed, like really badly bashed by Collingwood. And people wondered if maybe that had mentally scarred him for his career. But he was great. He, was, he played such a great first quarter. He sort of went out of the game, but he was still an influence. But that first quarter pretty much set up the win for Melbourne, I thought. Uh, he's been playing pretty well. He's been, look, I think he's going to be one of those players that always maybe floats in and out a little bit and it's going to be the nature of his game. But I think he's going to win a few for you too now in mm. the mix that they've got down there. And I like it. I, I, I'm, I'm very happy for him. Mm. <laughs> it's I'm, funny. I'm happy for Jack Watts. It's funny, isn't it though? Like we've just spent five minutes trashing Charlie Dixon and now we're so happy for Jack Watts. And this is based purely off not knowing these guys at all, just what we see on the field. But Jack Watts seemed like a guy who needed a break, like who just needed some confidence. Right. And he started this year that way. And, and that, because he, I don't think his ability has ever been in question. It's just whether or not he had that kind of killer instinct to be a footballer. And I think he's just starting to see it and he's getting some reward for effort. Right, but also if you're in the right mix. Like, I, I, I kind of think of him as like someone like a Dean Spaulding or somebody like that, where you're just like... <laughs> Do you mean Earl Spaulding? <laughs> oh, that's who I mean. Earl Spaulding, not Dean Spaulding. His brother. Yeah. He's actually brother who was slightly better. Yeah, Dean um, Spaulding. Yeah, I, you know what? I was, to be honest, I'm pretty glad that I even got Spaulding. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird, though. I actually was thinking like, about Earl Spaulding the other day. It's so weird. Two days ago, I was, I was going through Melbourne's old list, and like Stephen Stretch, Earl, Earl Spaulding. He ended up going to Carlton, I'm pretty sure. He did, yeah. And he was always one of those guys who was a decent enough player and could actually imply that he would be a, 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 almost a much better player. But you couldn't rely on him every single week, you know. And so I think that that's what Jack Watts' story is going to be. But I, yeah, I like it. And the D's, I mean, I, you know what? The D's are scoring a lot of goals. 
they're having a crack. Yeah. They're quite exciting to watch when they get it rolling. Yeah. Um, Nathan Jones is a bit of an, Colin- is an underrated midfielder, I think, as well. Like, he's a good inside midfielder who can also kick a goal, is able to get sort of distance on his opponent and stuff. Uh, it's weird because he doesn't look like he should be a captain, but you can sort of see why they chose him because he's one of those dudes who actually leads by actions. He's always just sort of at the bottom of the pack. He's reliable to have a shot on goal. He's courageous. It's just he looks like he should uh, be at a pub somewhere. Oh, no. It looks like instead of giving him the captaincy, they patched him in. <laughs> Yeah. Like in some sort of Sons of Anarchy style like ceremony that they like passed it over and he had to get like a branding and whatever. Yeah. But the after party was awesome. <laughs> but yeah, no, well, he's the anti Jack Watts. It's like they both need a little bit more of the other person. Like ideally, they'd like their captain to look like Jack Watts, but play like Nathan Jones. But anyway, they just have to even it out. Well, you but are. But here's the thing. Here's, here's the thing though. The big question, Charlie, that comes out of this game, I don't think is about Nathan Buckley. I think the big question that comes out of this game is, can Melbourne overcome? Can They'll get ahead of themselves. They've won mm. one in a row again, Charlie. Yeah, yeah. And we know that this is Melbourne's greatest hurdle. Yeah. yeah. Like, will they be tired next week? The, band, you know? the, band Are they wa- ready? the bandwagon is running. I think a couple... Right, it's uh, the heaviest of all bandwagons. Yeah, a couple of players have been at the casino all weekend celebrating... <laughs> Mad Monday has started. I mean, this is going to be their biggest challenge this season because, as we know, they have a Mad Monday after every win. Mm. Like, they might get their most wins they've had in ages this season, which means they're also having the most Mad Mondays. They might get, like, eight or nine Mad Mondays this year if they're really good, but that's going to increasingly make it harder for them to win games later in the season because the cumulative effect of all those... Mad Mondays, even just having to choose the different costumes like nine or ten times. I mean, how do you come up with a different comical character for every single Mad Monday? I mean, your Rose Chong bill alone in costuming (laughs) is going to kill you by the end of the season. That's a great local Melbourne reference. Now, like it or not, the heat is is getting stronger on, on Nathan Buckley. And, geez... Don't people love to come out of the woodwork when either Collingwood or Nathan Buckley is in trouble? It's kind of like, like Darren Jolly's come out and had a whack. Damien Barrett's come out and had a whack. It's almost like, you know, ex-prime ministers, they love to just kind of float up out of the blue and just like attack the current prime minister. That seems to be what's happening at the moment. Anyone who has a, gr- I'm surprised Mick Malthouse hasn't come out and made a statement. I mean, is it just because Mick Malthouse has said so many grumpy things over the years, it's it's almost like superfluous to get a quote from him? No, I think the thing that Mick Malthouse actually understands is all this mess, he, he should keep out of it because it's a mess anyway and it actually makes his legacy a bit better because he kind of disproved his legacy at Carlton. He fucked that place up. Mm. Like, he destroyed a place. He did, he did nothing for his legacy. But this Collingwood mythology, if Bucks fucks up then it'll always be built into the story that like that you know Mick could have taken the no more success and like you know it was Nathan Buckley that fucked it up which may or may not have been the case but forevermore you can actually have that question so Mick just stays out of it and he enjoys it happening i mean of course the uh the the thing the, the tension between Buckley and Malthouse has to do with the succession plan that came in at the end of 2011 so just a quick catch up for anyone who didn't know Eddie Maguire 
uh, after the 2009 season when Collingwood had just missed out on playing a preliminary final, or maybe had bombed out of a preliminary final, sat Mick Malthouse and Nathan Buckley down and asked them to thrash out a succession plan because Bucks uh, was getting courted by North Melbourne. Eddie Maguire didn't want to lose Bucks, but at the same time, you know, they had a, a team that was playing finals under Mick Malthouse. So after a few days, they came back with a succession plan, which said no matter what happens at the end of 2011, Nathan Buck... Uh, 2010 or 2011? Well, anyway, at one of those years that Mick Malthouse will hand over to Nathan Buckley. Now, I don't know how anyone got Mick Malthouse to sign off on that deal. Like, I'm assuming someone tranked him in the boardroom and then, like, put his thumbprint on the contract because... Every evidence uh, before and since has suggested that Mick Malthouse, there's no way he wanted to go through with that plan. I don't know, did they maybe threaten him with just firing him, uh, like just a a direct uh, retrenchment or or what? But you've got to wonder about where that's left the club now. Well, also, I think you've got to wonder if Mick wasn't arrogant enough that he thought, because it wasn't like the next year, like that Mick thought, well, if I just keep being successful then they will just have no choice but to keep me. You know, so I think Mick kind of signed it under sufferance and thought, well, I'll just, you know, this is footy. Contracts made fucking nothing. (laughs) It's ridiculous. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, Tom Boyd went to the the Bulldogs. So I can sign a a concession contract. It's fucking crazy. Like, contracts mean nothing anymore. It just means how much someone will pay out to someone else or players will be paying for someone to play for another club or whatever, you know. Like, But they'll work it out somehow. The idea of putting a succession plan in place is not a terrible idea. The AFL itself proves that it's not because the current, like, uh, CEO of the AFL, Gil McLaughlin, that was a succession plan. Like, Andrew Dimitri put that in place, essentially. Or the Sydney, and they handed it over to... The Sydney Swans. They showed exactly how you do it. Uh, Paul Rooster, John Longmire. That was a succession plan, and it was really smooth succession. And there may be a chance with the way that Melbourne are playing, and people are saying that you know Simon Goodwin's doing a lot of the day-to-day hands-on coaching already, that that might turn out to be a success story as well. Because if Goodwin's got them starting to play that style of football, when Rusey hands it off, it might still end up being... Like, it might have taken a little longer than... You know, people were hoping because, you know, Ruzi isn't magic, but it might end up being a successful one as well. Mm. Eddie's only problem was Mick fucking Malthouse and the idea that he ever thought Mick Malthouse was going to take that plan. Well, I don't, I don't know if that was the problem. I think the problem was it's almost like, so Nathan Buckley, you know, a Brownlow medalist, six-time best and fairest player, like obviously a smart footballer and a smart football brain. But it was just kind of uh, uh, like a foregone conclusion that he'll make a great coach. That was what the pundits were saying. But there's no guarantees that anyone is going to make a great coach. That's what I think the problem was. It's kind of like St Kilda and Rob Harvey. There's this romance at Moorabbin about, well, Rob Harvey's an assistant coach now, and one day Rob Harvey will come back. I'm like, don't. Don't do it. Because I I love Harves. He's one of my all-time favorite players. But... I don't know that he makes a great coach necessarily. If he goes on to coach other clubs to premierships or finals and proves himself, sure, I'd be interested in bringing him back. But look at James Hurd. Look at Tim Watson. It happens all the time that a player's reputation makes people think they can coach. Vossi, Buckley and Hurdy won the Brownlow. Uh, three of the best players of all time may end up being three of the worst coaches. Like That, that may be how it turns out. Alistair Clarkson... Not a Hawthorne legend. Mm. 
you know. Russ Lyon. But, you know, right, you don't need to have played for the club, but in some ways, I think at least having been at an outside system, like, you know, mm. I mean, I think with Harvey, because they reckon Harvey's a good coach, and they're talking about him at Collingwood, you know, it's like, well, if, you know, where would you go with it? And yeah, I could see the idea of Robert Harvey coming back to St Kilda and that being a wonderful thing, but you don't need a guy who played at your club, and I think a lot of the time, when it comes to sacking or just letting them get away with too much stuff like they did with Herdy, like no one's asking enough questions because you've got a fucking club legend there and you're like, well, don't ask James Herd questions. Yeah. Maybe if they had, they wouldn't, they wouldn't have got into the trouble that they got into. Although if Harves came back to, if Harves came back to St Kilda, the only supplement program I could see him putting them on is a program to keep your hair staying exactly the same shape for 20 years. I mean, it's amazing his hair. It's what it is one of those things where like didn't change. I mean, I guess that's. I mean, I guess that's the closest to like the cotchin. When I look at the cotchin and I go, "What? What are you trying to do?" I guess it is a modern take on the Robert Harvey. If I look at it through through those eyes, I actually like it a little bit more. And you know what? I'm leaving. I'm a leaving Trent alone because Dimmer has asked us, and now his wife has asked us. You know what? He's trying his best, and it's not his fault. Leave him alone. I think it was the nerd comments that hurt him the most, to be honest. That's why she went straight to Instagram and defended him. How would you... Uh, let me ask you that question. You're a married man. Yes. Uh, if um, somebody was, like, being mean to you about, like, your role on Home and Away, right? Everyone was, like, starting to, like, go after you because you yeah. were like, you, you murdered some popular character yeah, or yeah. whatever. And you became hated on the internet, whatever. How would you feel... If Gemma on her Instagram went out and did this big defense of you and it was like, you know what? Charlie tries his best and he's, you know, he's not, a, you know, he's not actually a counselor. He actually is just pretending to be one on a TV show. And you know what? He's like, anyway, he does his best and he's very nice at home and he always walks the dog. Like, how would you feel about that? Do you feel, feel like that's a, well, I think there's a couple of levels to that. On one hand, uh, you know, my my wife is a completely independent person and she's free to do whatever she wants. And if she wants to defend me, right. then that's great, you know, because I think, you know, a wife should defend the husband and, and vice versa. Personally, I like to fight my own battles. I don't like any, I, don't, I would I would not like to be, especially if I'm the captain of a club or if I was a captain of Home and Away. <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, I, I, greatest, the greatest football team of all because you can win home and away. That's the great <laughs> thing. But you ironically there <laughs> but you what you would want is you are a leader of the club you need to demonstrate leadership look it's it's a complicated thing because she was just defending her husband and I think that's 100% fine and you know Jonathan Brown coming out and saying she should stay out of it I don't think that's right I think if she wants <laughs> if she wants to do it then that's fine I think the the onus though is more on Trent Cotchen to come out and show some leadership or to you know because uh, uh, Richmond put like a, a media ban on the players at the start of the season that's not the answer like when people are questioning your club you've got to face the music I mean Ross Lyon people you know, have a lot of problems with Ross Lyon. But what I have thought's been amazing about Frio's bad start to the year is that he's been very upfront about what's going on and he hasn't dodged interviews. He's, uh, on the weekend, he sat down with David King after their fourth loss in a row, straight after the game. And, you know, when they scheduled that interview at the start of the year, I'm sure they're expecting it was going to be a discussion about, you know, why he's one of the greatest tactical coaches of all time. But he 
you know, uh, he uh, he fulfilled his obligations and actually said, look, we're just things aren't working right now. But he didn't back down from that. I watched that interview. Did you see it? The one with David King? Yeah. Yeah. And I actually thought if I was a Frio supporter, I'd feel I'd feel a lot better about what's happening at the moment. Like he's aware of what's going on. Right. And that actually brings us to the last game of the round, which is uh, North Melbourne Frio at Eddie Head Stadium. The Kangas, are you convinced yet? Still not sure, but I mean... <laughs> like, so they're on top of the ladder, undefeated, still not sure. I, uh, yeah, I mean, they did what they should do. I guess that's what I take out of that, is they, you know, they did what they should do. I don't, I don't think the Dockers are very good at the moment. And I think that North Melbourne are good at the moment. Like, all the things about North Melbourne that you're like, you know, boomer, just all that shit, you're kind of like, okay, well, I mean, I can see what you're doing. Yeah. Well, I would say... I would Be interesting s- to say. Yeah, I would say this about North, is that they could very well win it, but whatever happens, I don't think North are establishing like a dynasty or anything like that. I don't think this is the start of the Kangaroos era. I think if they win one, it's going to be a, a maybe one, maybe two, and then there's going to be a steep drop-off because they don't have that depth all the way down. They've recruited in a lot of their top-end talent. Like Jared White, holy shit, man. Like I will put my hand up and say when I heard the Kangaroos were drafting him at 32, I was like, what? This is desperate. This is embarrassing. What are they doing? But Brad Scott, hang on, is it Brad or Chris? Brad. Racist. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he saw something that none of else, no one else saw. Like he, he was, he's made him a more disciplined player. He's made him a, um, it just, I guess maybe in a better team that's helped as well. But he doesn't look like the same Jared Wade of five years ago. Maybe his only theory was he just was like, well, everybody else who left Carlton turned out to be actually really <laughs> awesome. So just based on that, I'll give it a crack. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> it's the bet theory. We'll just give him a go. Yeah, look, I mean, I like North, and I think you're absolutely right. They're the sort of team that with a bit of luck – and, you know, if they're lucky with the injuries and they're playing well at the right sort of time, you can imagine they could beat most teams in the competition on their day and they could win one. They could definitely win one. But it doesn't feel like they're establishing a dynasty like a Hawthorne thing. But if you look at it, if you take Hawthorne out of the mix, no one really has. The story of the competition actually is about equalisation. You know, the rest of those people who played Hawthorne have gone through a fucking mix. It's just fucking Hawthorne that are there every year. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it's it's weird when you think about it. Like it doesn't like Hawthorne have obviously traded players in and stuff, but it doesn't feel like Hawthorne at any stage topped up to get one of their flags. It all has felt very organic, like it's come just through it's come through the drafting and it's come through the game style as opposed to bringing in a like a like a, a match winner. Like even McAvoy, Burgoyne, um who are some recent trade-ins, well, those players have been brought in to kind of complement that core. None of those players are, are, are match winners. Frawley, Brian Lake, you know, who played in, uh, you know, three grand finals, including uh, a Norm Smith medal. And then, 
you know, decided that Robert Murphy should retire because apparently the Bulldogs had always been about being selfish. And I know that because of Brian Lake, who was the most selfish fucker in the entire fucking team. So he would know, I guess, of what was indulged at the Bulldogs because he was the guy forcing them to indulge it. But that is like Van Wilder. complaining that the university oh no hang on I've never seen that movie I can't make that analogy (laughs) (laughs) so hang on when when has Brian Lake become this person that they go to like there's been two quotes this week Uh, Brian Lake and Darren Jolly have been consulted for their opinion on football matters When did they become the oracles of knowledge? Mate Brian Lake is the Mark Latham of footy commentary Yeah right Right it's like yeah it's He's, he will be your dialer quote. There is no doubt about it because he sees what his role in the media might be. And it'll be being Brian Lake, the guy who says the things that nobody else will say. Essentially, he's like Acker without, you know, Acker. <laughs> Acker without the charm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. We will look ahead to, uh, to, to round five. Uh, the first game okay. uh, on Friday night is an absolute cracker. It's Hawthorne taking on the Crows at the MCG, which, you know, we said maybe last week the Swans versus the Crows is a grand final preview. This could also have grand final preview written all over it. Um, Hawthorne, what do you think? I think Hawthorne, two, uh, you know, two lucky escapes. They might be, uh, they might be uh, primed for a loss on Friday night. I reckon... I, I always hate to tip against Hawthorne at the MCG because they're so good there. But if Adelaide are going to beat them, this might be the time to do it. They're flying Adelaide and uh, Hawthorne are just getting it done. And Adelaide are great on the MCG because as we saw when they beat the Bulldogs in that final last year, like when it gets over the back, Eddie Betts, like he's got plenty of space there at the MCG. Like, you know... I reckon it's just going to be a great game. It's just going to be one of those games of football. Even if you don't bag for those two teams, sit back and watch that because that is just going to be awesome. I reckon Adelaide might win. If I had to, I'd always say don't you know, back against Hawthorne, but I reckon Adelaide could definitely win that one. I think if Gibson doesn't come up, then I will back the Crows. But if Gibson comes in, I think he just makes such a huge difference to that Hawks back line. He's essentially like having another forward just 100 metres back. Um, I, reckon, I reckon Hawthorne could win. Gibson then, I'm going to tip the Hawks. Adelaide have got a lot of threats up front, and it'll be interesting to see how the Hawthorne back line deals with them all. It's going to be a great game of football. Definitely. Can't wait. Uh, on Saturday, the Swans take on the Eagles, traditional rivals at the SCG. Um, I don't know I don't know what to make of this game. Like, I think it's going to... Part of me feels like it... Should, should, be, a, should be another great game, though, right? Do, well, should be do, another great do, game. do you think? I just I think at the SCG, the Swans are virtually unbeatable. And I just don't know how well the Eagles travel. I, I, part of me senses that this could be a, maybe not a one-sided game, but a fairly like comfortable four or five goal victory to the Swans. I reckon the Eagles are going to be a top four side. And so if they are going to be, they're going to have to be better than that at the SCG. I reckon, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think Sydney to win, but it, it, West Coast are going okay, I reckon. So it'll be, I reckon it'll be a great game. Uh, Gold Coast Suns take on North Melbourne. Uh, 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 oh. Sorry, I will. I will add an extra prediction. Yep. I think Buddy Franklin will kick uh, four goals <laughs> and have eighteen disposals. <laughs> so. The Gold Coast Suns take on the Shinboners uh, at Manuka. I guess it is MS Manuka Stadium. Is that what they yep. call it? I thought yep. it was Manuka Oval. Yep. MS. No Metricon Stadium. 
It's it's uh, up on oh, the Gold yeah. Coast. No, you're right. Um, now this will be. I reckon this will actually be quite a good game. The Suns will be on the rebound. North Melbourne looking to continue their form. I reckon the Suns maybe just had a bit of a hiccup last week and will be looking to make amends. Well, the the one thing we can't we can't take form out of last week because the one thing we know is the Q clash normal rules don't apply. <laughs> so. Uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, I reckon if North Melbourne were going to drop one, yeah. this would be the sort of one that they would drop. It's you know, one that they probably should win, and the Suns should actually win. Suns at Metricon. I'm going to say the Suns. When you think about this game, this is essentially the T100 from Terminator taking on the T1000. Because if you remember, North Melbourne right. were originally slated to go up to the Gold Coast. They were meant to be the Gold Coast Kangaroos. Right. They chose to go out on their own, and then the Gold Coast were established. So basically, the Gold Coast are the new and improved uh, version of the Kangaroos. So it is like Terminator 2. The Gold Coast are the shape-shifting T-1000s taking on the trusty old North Melbourne T-100s. Or North Melbourne was the girl you were living with in Melbourne and you wanted to move up the Gold Coast and you wanted her to come, but she didn't. So you just got a new girlfriend who looks a bit like her, but hotter and younger. <laughs> so it'll be interesting to see. <laughs> Saturday night, the Mighty Bulldogs take on the Brisbane Lions who are flying high over their Q clash. Uh, this will be interesting, I guess, just for the point of view of who the Bulldogs bring in to cover uh, Boyd, Johannesson, and who's the other guy who got injured? Is there a third one, or is that in the reserves? In the reserves. Right. Um, look, it'll be... <sighs> this could be a danger game, I reckon, after all the emotion of the last couple of weeks. And Brisbane, you know, Brisbane are good. So, look, we should win this one. But if we were going to drop one, like, you know, after everything we've kind of been going through, then this would be the sort of one. Uh, Jed Adcock playing against his old team, though. He'll, he'll want to do a good job. So, you know, I hope we'll win. Um, I, but I, I could see us losing this one. I can't see you, I can't see you losing this one. I think that there's uh, too much at stake. I think the Brisbane Lions are travelling, coming off uh, come from behind victory last week. They would have spent all their tickets. I reckon you guys will win comfortably. Uh, over in Adelaide, um, the Port Adelaide Flat Track Bullies <laughs> take on Geelong. Yeah, this will be a, this is a real test. I mean, they've been so bashed in the media this week. They've got to put on a performance that's like they've got to put on something. They've got to show something this week and they're taking on a really, really good Geelong. So um, I I still think the Cats will win, but unless Port Adelaide put up a fight, then I reckon we're going to start asking some questions. Uh, all right. The first thing I would say is I'm not convinced by the Cats yet. I reckon they're good. But apart from that first game, and now we've got a different assessment of where Hawthorne might be at. Maybe Hawthorne are just starting a little slower and stuff as well. Cats haven't been overwhelming for me yet this season. So I could see them going there and dropping this one. But I don't think Port are very good. No. And I think despite... It doesn't matter you know, what you say in the media and whatever. I actually just don't know if they're good enough. But I guess Adelaide Oval, Pack Stadium, you know, maybe they... You know, maybe when they maybe they get JD Fortune in... JD Fortune, To make yep. that little speech. Yep. You know, or... So... I guess maybe, like, yeah. but no, I, I mean, I, I, I reckon the Cats. I think you're right. I think it all hinges on whether or not JD Fortune addresses the group before the game. Right, yeah. So, I mean, check that out before the game. <laughs> Sunday, Sunday, uh, 10 past one at Etihad Stadium. The Mighty Saints take on the GWS Giants. Um, I reckon we're primed for a, a win. I think that we've uh, come really close. 
uh, to uh, upset wins in, in round one and, and last week. I think this is a game where we're gonna we won't start favourites, but I think that that Eddie had um, after last week's game, I think we're we're primed to actually have a good victory. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I think that you guys could definitely win, and you deserve a win. Mm. Um, but I'm going to go the opposite way on this. I reckon. Uh, I reckon GWS is starting to get their swagger on, mm. and I reckon you guys maybe after that exhausting trip to Tasmania and like such a close game against Hawthorne that GWS might just have enough to get you. But I reckon that should be a really good game too. That's the sort of one if I like I'm I'm going to be at Coachella, but if that's the sort of one that if I was not. At Coachella. <laughs> Actually, I don't know if I'm going to be or not. But maybe. <laughs> anyway, it seems like it's going to be a good game. Well, the interesting thing about this game too is they actually play two very very similar styles of football, that quick running game starting off half back. The only difference is that the GWS Giants have about 50 top 10 draft picks and we have about four. So their execution will be a lot better than ours. But I think that having something about being at Eddie had home home side advantage, all that kind of stuff might come into play. I just think that the Saints are building. You know, we really should have won last week. Like, if not for you know Paddy McCartan's kick for goal that faded at the last minute, we would have had that victory. Um, I just get the sense if we if we lose, we're not going to lose badly. I think it should be a good close game. Uh, later that afternoon, Frio take on Carlton in the Battle of the Bottom. Um, who knows? I mean, I think Freo will have to get it done because it's at Penis Stadium. Um, yeah, but who knows? The Casbolt effect could be, could be, could be going, could be in full effect. I mean, it'd be amazing if it was actually perfect for the um, the Freeman or Doctor. <laughs> and so, because so, like you know, the, the, and actually, Levi only really plays well there because the direction he kicks in it, it catches the wind perfectly, and then goes through for a goal. Um, uh, I, I, I expect Frio will win that comfortably because they need to, but yeah. just because they have better player, players than the Carlton players. I just think at home, they've got to win. They've got to win against Carlton. If they don't, then, I mean, it's going to be a really interesting season for Frio, but I think they'll beat them. Well, I mean, the season's over for them, really. They're not playing finals this year, Frio. So they could still play finals. Mathematically, but. History has said that yeah. you lose your first four games, you don't play a final. Right. Well, your history's made to be broken, mate. Oh, sorry, Marty McFly. <laughs> uh, at the MCG on a Sunday night, Melbourne take on Richmond in a game that proves to be very important for the Tigers. Um, right. It's a kind of game, I mean, we say this every week, it's the kind of game that Richmond could win. But. Right. I just don't know. Like Melbourne have put together, uh, you know, some good performances this year. They seem to have a good running game going. They've got some targets up forward, and Richmond just seem mentally shot. But this is the question: Can Melbourne win more than one in a row? It's been years since it happened, Charlie. And it's that. I mean, I think it's at that point where, after all the press it got last time, they have to do it this time. And I do think that Richmond are shattered. And I don't think they know what the answers to the questions are. Yeah, I reckon I reckon Melbourne are going to win. And they're going to go on a two-game streak. And then the Mad Monday after that, like when they inevitably lose to whoever the week after that is going to be the biggest one of all time. But yeah, I reckon Melbourne, two in a row. I'm just going to tip the Tigers just because I just want to see what that does to the universe. <laughs> right. It shouldn't. I mean, it could happen. It, sh- it shouldn't happen. But they're the team who, the kind of team who would win. 
Uh, and then Monday, Anzac Day clash traditional rivals. The Pies take on the Bombers in a game that Collingwood just have to win. They just have to win. Well, in a game that's now suddenly interesting again. Mm. Everyone thought it was going to be this late. Should they have Anzac Day because Essendon are going to be so bad? But now this game is so intriguing because A... Like, what a great year for Essendon if they could manage to beat Collingwood on Anzac Day. That's not something you could have imagined going into the season. That'd be like winning the grand final for Essendon this year. Mm. And B, if you're Collingwood and you lose to Essendon on Anzac Day, I mean, I think players, like, you know, with Anzac Day, I think people find that even more, like, a highly respected game than the Q Clash. So that's how high regard people hold it in, in the AFL. Yeah, I think uh, what'll be interesting about this game, even though Collingwood have not been playing well this year, I don't think it's been down to effort. I don't think it's been down to the play. I think it's maybe the strategy or the structures they're, they're using at the moment. So it'll be a lot more even because you've basically got two unskilled teams <laughs> having a crack. So I reckon what we might get right. is a fairly close, low-scoring game. Yeah, I mean, maybe. I, th- I think... I think... Melbourne kicked a lot of goals over the last couple of weeks. Melbourne looked like really. Do you mean Essendon? Uh, sorry, not Melbourne. Essendon, have, uh, sorry, uh, Essendon have looked okay in different quarters. Um, I mean, fucking Collingwood almost have to win, don't they? But I think, I think Essendon could win it. Did you see during the week uh, the AFL have come out with this headline like Travis Cloak's shocking confession, and you know they caught it with Travis training. He's like, oh yeah. I've got to play better. I'm a, I'm a senior player and there's certain expectations. It's like, that's hardly a shocking confession. <laughs> Travis Cloak was in my dream last night. Oh, wow. I had a dream that I, that I was at a party at Travis Cloak's new house yep. that he's just bought and moved to. And like the, the, he was like telling me about all these troubles and I was trying to be really supportive. But like I also knew that I was on drugs. And I was like, <laughs> I just didn't want to like get... I, I didn't want to get him in trouble. Like he was like... <laughs> And there was a part of me that was like really wanted to hear about his troubles because I was on drugs and I was really like, oh yeah, tell me more. But at the same time, I was like, oh my God, like you're having such a bad time. Why don't you like you ph- photograph with like someone like me? That'll make it things worse for you, you know, with what. So anyway, yeah. it was a conflicting yeah. dream. I don't, yeah, yeah. I wonder Can- what it was actually about. <laughs> <laughs> Because I think that's what Collingwood players have to worry about. It's not being photographed with Toby Mitchell. It's been photographed with Will Anderson. Right. No wonder they failed a hair test. Alex Persolo came to my show at the festival. Oh, uh, did he? Yeah, he tweeted about it. I was like, oh, okay, nice. Well, now I have to like you. <laughs> Apparently, uh, Alex Fasolo likes to refer to himself in the third person as the Faz, a bit like The Rock. Is that right? Yeah, that's what I've I heard. I like it. The Faz says, five stars, Will Anderson. <laughs> he didn't say that. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, that's uh, that's pretty much everything we have for this week. Oh, there's one uh, quick thing we should just touch on before we go, which is the AFL has come out and said the replay is dead. The grand final replay is dead. Oh, yeah. From personal experience, I can say this is a good thing. There's nothing worse than being at a drawn grand final that your team's played at. Um, but did you pick up the fine details of how it goes? So it's extra time, and then if no team yep. is winning after that, it's golden score or golden goal? Right. So it's uh, at the end of the game, if the, tie, the scores are tied, it's uh, five minutes uh, each way. The coaches will be able to come down like a, a quarter time or a three quarter time and address the players for a short period of time before they start the extra five minutes each way. Yeah. Uh, the teams will start kicking towards the ends that they were already kicking to in the final quarter. 
and then they will have a really quick changeover where the coaches don't get to say anything uh, at the other five. And if they're still tied on the score, then it is just, yes, golden score. So point or goal. And that's the one thing that has been a little bit controversial is some people think that it shouldn't be a behind. But you know what? I mean... That's what the ga- rules of the game are. Grand finals are decided by a uh, behind. Didn't want to bring it up, but uh, you know, I mean, that's how it works. Yeah, hundred percent. I guess the uh, the the real question is: Will JD Fortune be allowed to come down and address Port Adelaide if they find themselves in a grand final that's tied at the final siren? I mean, I don't think there's any danger of that happening in JD Fortune's lifetime. So, yeah, lacks a fortune, except in that instance, right? <laughs> Uh, all right. I th- are we done? Is yeah, that all we need I think to we're done. We... No, I think that's it. All right. All right. Um, uh, we're hoping to do another e- another edition of... Um, sorry, I'm a little jet-lagged. I did start wandering off a bit there at the end. I was like... <laughs> Will, put your clothes back on. About? <laughs> um, but yeah, we're going to try to do a TOEFOP uh, over the Skype later in the week as well. So, yeah. uh, uh, so you can check hopefully a new one of those out uh, later in the week. Oh, and no one listens to this in LA. I was about to plug my LA show, but no one listens to this in LA. So let's just not even bother doing that. <laughs> All right, we're done. I'm Will Anderson. I'm Charlie Glosson. We are two guys, one car.